um, two more stories in four, and it might take me longer than expect that I expect, but I'm hoping that it's going to that we'll get through it. I'm trying to go relatively quick. Uh, you know, in reality, you could probably take two or three verses at a time, and you—I mean—you preach it forever. Um, so far, if you think about it, so far in John, what we've seen is, um, especially in these first few chapters, is that Jesus is bringing this new, the newness of God to the people. Remember the wine, water turned to wine was God's new, you know, it was his new wine. It was the, in, the inauguration of the banquet, the, uh, the wedding feast of the lamb where we don't use the water pots for the washing and the rituals and the Jewish things anymore. Now we've got this new wine, you know, and then, then the, the next thing was the religious Pharisee Nicodemus came and all of a sudden you got to be born again. And this man who was steeped in tradition, he was steeped in religion. He knew all about, you know, the, the Torah, the Bible. He knew all about the scriptures. He knew all, and all of a sudden here, he's hearing something he's never heard before. Guess what? You got to be born again. And in fact, he should have known. Jesus said, how, how can you be a teacher of Israel and not know these things? But it was still something new to him. And then last week we talked about the woman at the well. And this was new because the woman, you know, she was an outcast from society. She was one that no Jew would talk to, especially no rabbi would talk to. But yet here he was doing something that nobody would be doing. He, if you were uh, raised in the tradition of the religious, the religious traditions of the Jews and all those things, this was an absolute no-no. And so what we're going to talk about today is the work of the kingdom, kingdom of God. Um, I read a quote this week from a guy named William Carey. He was uh, one of the first, not first, but he's kind of who they look to as the founder of modern missions, William Carey. He's a Baptist from London. Uh, and he said, he said, I would, he said, I'm not afraid of failure. He said, but I'm afraid of succeeding in things that don't matter. And uh, when you look back on your life, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to be with, you know, not a whole bunch, but a, some people, you know, as they lay dying, you know, on their deathbed. And, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot you can learn from somebody who is right there at the point of death because they don't have any more pretenses. They don't have any more motives. They don't have any more because, I mean, here, here you are knocking on the door, you know, and that's why I've often said, you know, it's easy for somebody like us who are here with all of our life in front of us to say, well, I know Jesus and I, I got it going on and me and God are okay. But when you ask somebody who's laying on their deathbed and they know they're not getting up, this is it. You know, you ask somebody, they have a whole different outlook of, you know, do, if you ask them if they know Jesus and they say, yes, everything's good, it's good, it's fine. You, you, you pretty much take that to the bank because they don't have no reason. They don't have no reason to lie. They don't have no reason to put on airs. They don't have no reason because in just the next few minutes, the next few hours, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be facing it. So, um, I've, what was I saying? Oh yeah, I've been at the bedside of a lot of people that have, have passed away. And one of the things one of the things that it seems very common is they all have I wish I would have whatever. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have done more for whatever. I wish I would have they all have these things where I wish I would have would have done these things. Well, 
in, in this passage, we're going to read the rest. It's, we're going to read the rest of the story of the woman at the well. And then there's a little story at the end of, of John chapter 4 where the, the nobleman's son is healed. And what we're going to see is Jesus is initiating a new way to do kingdom work. It's not really new, but for all the people that are hearing him, it's new to them because they're used to their traditional way. They're used to their, their stuff. If you were a Jewish rabbi, if you were a religious person, if you was you know one of these guys, for you to do God's kingdom work, to work for God, what would you do? You would go to the temple, you would do your sacrifices, you would you know pray two or three times a day or whatever. You'd fast two, twice a week. You would do all the religious things and you would walk away thinking, I have done my work for God. Uh, but Jesus is going to show us, John's going to show us in this gospel here, how that is not the kingdom work. That's not the work that's going to endure. That's not the ministry that Jesus is looking for. So let's just start, and we're going to start in, um, I think, verse 27. And if you have anything to say, just speak up. You know, we'll stop, and if we have to continue the lesson next week, we'll just continue. We, you know, I, I'm not in a rush to get done or anything like this. Well, Jason, you were talking about people as they're laying on their deathbed, and they're when they say, "I wish I would have." It's never what a lot of what our wishes are when we have our health. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I wish I could have all my bills paid. I wish I had a new car. I wish I had a, you know, I, I could list a whole a bunch of things that I wish right now. But when I'm laying on my deathbed, it ain't going to matter. It's not going to matter whether I lived in a shack my whole life or whether I lived in a mansion. It's not going to matter where I, whether I had fun. You know, that's my thing. I live for enjoyment most of my life. And I didn't care if I had life insurance or health insurance or a good job or whatever. All I want to do is have fun, you know. And if I'm having fun and I'm, it's all good, well, guess what? There's going to come a day when you're laying on that deathbed and the doctors are going, we can't do nothing else for you. And it's not going to matter a hill of beans whether you had fun all your life or not because now you, you have, you're going to have to face, you have to face the judgment. And you have to give an answer for everything that you did and everything that you didn't do. <laughs> And there ain't gonna be no excuses. There ain't gonna be. There ain't gonna be no. Well, you, you gotta understand. I was just. You know, it ain't gonna be nothing like that. Cause God can see right into your heart, and He'll know. You know, He'll know when you when you're full of it. That's my that's my word for the week. I heard a guy yesterday say. He said. He said. Uh, I'm looking around. Make sure I'm. <laughs> make sure I ain't gonna. He said. Uh, he said, you can preach, you can preach all day long if you know the scripture. And he waited just a second and he looked at everybody and he said, and I'm full of it. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. All right. Verse 27. He said, remember, this is the end of, uh, remember everything that's going on. The woman at the well, you know, we've, we discussed that last week about what the woman came for, what she was, you know, what Jesus said to her, all those things. And it says, um, after Jesus revealed himself that he was the Messiah to her, verse 27 says, and upon this came his disciples and they marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? Now, why were the disciples marveling that he was talking with this woman because she was a Samaritan and the Jews did not communicate with Samaritans 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 yeah Samaritan and she was a woman like 
That was enough. If you were a rabbi, if you were, I'm telling you, like these guys are the guys that, I mean, they walked around, they were the high society. You know, I, I don't really, if you're a preacher today, I don't think you have the same uh, status as these people would have. But but if you were let, you know, let, uh, you know, I guess a famous politician or a famous person or somebody walk, just walk through the street and people were like, ooh, look at there, there's, you know, that's, that's so-and-so, you know. That, I had, when I went and got my, we went and tried to get my pants altered one time uh, a couple weeks ago, they couldn't alter them. It was not, it was, that's another story. But I've got this license plate on the front of Dana's vehicle. It came with the car and it's the House of Representatives and the, the Tennessee seal on it. You know, they give those, that's the senator. If you're a senator, they give you a license plate and everybody knows that, you know, you don't pull that car over, right? And so we, the dude was like, oh, are, are, are you a, you a senator? Like, and I'm standing there in like blue jeans and a Pac-Man t-shirt. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm a senator. Yeah. I was like, no, no. But after that, it was all good, you know, so they, these people, rabbis had, they had, uh, yeah, they said, well, can I have that license plate? I was like, nope. I snorted right there. They were, they were people you'd look at and you'd go, wow, look at that guy, you know. And so they didn't talk, they didn't talk to women in public. That was no, no. And so they sure didn't do Samaritans. We talked about all that. I'm going backwards. But watch the disciples. They misunderstand. They misunderstand what this kingdom work is. They're still thinking with tradition. They're still thinking the way things always have been. Rabbis don't talk to women. They don't come. They don't talk to Samaritans. We don't try to include them into God's kingdom. We don't do. They're still thinking that way. And they come up and they say that they, they're wondering why he's talking to her. Okay. And it says, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men. Now, she went to the men, this woman did, come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is this, is this not the Christ? Uh, then they went out, all these people went out of the city and they came unto him. You, now, what it's showing you is the difference between the kingdom work and the way it's always been and what you think the kingdom work is. The disciples, yes. Why didn't they ask him? Ask who? Oh. Why would they I don't know. Well, they're probably. I don't know. They're probably. I don't know. Maybe they were just. They were scared of what he would say. That he would rebuke them. You know, he, Jesus rebukes his disciples quite a few times in the Gospels because they don't understand. He says, "Ye of little faith." He even says one time, "How long am I going to be here with you?" You got. You know. So, I don't know. It doesn't really tell me. And Those are just guesses. So she knew enough about. Yes, that was y'all were in Kansas City last week. Yeah, we talked about that. She was a Samaritan. They believed the Samaritans believed in the first five books of the Bible only, the Torah, the, the Genesis through Deuteronomy, and so she knew there was a Messiah coming. She was worshiping in the wrong place. She was in Mount Gerizim, and Jesus corrected all those things. He said, "You know, there's coming a day where we're not going to not going to have to worry about worshiping over here, worshiping over there. You're going to worship in spirit and truth." He was he was basically shutting down her religion. You know, her religious 
views of God and everything because he had already convicted her of her, of her sin, saying that she, you know, you got five husbands and all that. And so she turned to religion and then he shut that down. And then finally she was just going to end the deal going, well, look, you know, we don't know. There's a Messiah coming and when he comes, he'll tell us all this stuff. And Jesus said, we ended last week. Jesus said, the one that's talking to you, that's, I'm him. And so, uh, Moving on here, the disciples, after he says that, the disciples come back, see Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman, and they're walking up, walking up to where Jesus is at, and they're thinking like, what's he doing, man? Good gracious. He's talking to this one, this outcast Samaritan woman. I mean, remember we said if, if he was, were to drink from her pot, like he said, give me a drink, he would make himself unclean. You can't be touching the vessels and the things that the Samaritans touch. And so the disciples are wondering what's going on. And then the woman, instead of, she came to the well to get water. She came to the well to get water so that she would have water for the day. That's what women did. They came and they got all the water they were going to need for that day. And then the next day they went out and got more water. And instead of going back with the water that she had drawn from the well to supply the needs of her house for the day, you know, to to cook and to clean and to drink and to do whatever with, she left her water pot. Now what does that tell you that she came out there to get water in in the heat of the day when no one else would be there and talks, has this interaction with Jesus, and then all of a sudden, instead of she, instead of going back home, she didn't even take the water pot with her. She left the water pot, went back home, and immediately started talking to people, saying, come meet a man, you know, come see this guy who's out here by this well. What does that tell you? Does that tell you anything about her mindset, where she's at after she spoke with Jesus? Her priorities changed. Huh? It changed. Her mindset changed. Her priorities changed. Right. It was no longer about her physical needs. It was no longer about uh, her her household needs. It was no longer about her comfort or her whatever. Because when you back then there were no running water, there was no nothing. I mean, if you wanted water, you had to go out to the well. And so after that, it was she left her pot. She knew that what she went out there for was no longer as important as who was out there. Now, that's in direct opposition to what the disciples were thinking, right? What did they go to the city to buy, the disciples? Remember? Anybody? Food. They went to buy food. They were coming back to bring Jesus food. And when they got there, they were like, what is he doing? Man, he's going to embarrass us. You ever been around somebody like that? You know? (laughs) Not funny. My days of embarrassing you have just begun. (laughs) No, they they they're gonna make me a chaplain at the same hospital she works. And and look, it ain't too many Veladas running around. (laughs) You know what I mean? It ain't like Smith or Jones. It's like, gee. So Jesus satisfied the woman's need. All of a sudden, she don't need water anymore. She's got what she wanted. She, she's got something that, that satisfied inside of her. And then Jesus became the focus of the woman, didn't it? She, I mean, at least you could do 
is take your water pot with you. You know what I mean? Like, get some water. I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. Well, let me get my water pot so I won't have to come back out of here. At least you could do is take it with you, man. Save you a trip. She left the water pot sitting right there. I don't even care. I'm going. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell all these people about Jesus. Now, have you ever thought I'm not qualified to go tell somebody about Jesus? I'm not qualified. That is really not an excuse when you're talking about a Samaritan woman who's outcast from the Jewish people, a Samaritan woman who's had five husbands who's outcast from her own people because she's had five husbands, and a Samaritan woman who's living with a dude, shacking up with some dude, which makes her, which makes her a fornicator and a, you know all, all those things, which makes her an outcast. Not to mention the fact that in those days, if you were a woman, you wouldn't go running up to some religious guy and just and start doing the deal, you know. So if this this Samaritan woman was qualified. Having spoken to Jesus for five minutes, then there's no one who's met this Savior, no one who's met the Messiah who's not qualified. Now, when she goes to give her message to the town, did she give them a big theological treatise about salvation and God and what'd she say? Come meet a man. And that's the thing. That's why, that's why. We get bogged down sometimes because a lot of times we think that witnessing for Christ is about telling people what they need to believe. That's not what it is. It's not, you're not just telling people what they should believe. You're introducing them to a person. And that person is Christ. And that person, Jesus Christ, by, by the Holy Spirit, is the one who will change that person's heart. He will tell them what to believe. He will show them through the scriptures. He'll open their eyes. Uh, when Paul was in Acts, it said that God opened Lydia's eyes so she could receive the message. Um, what you're doing is when I'm talking to when I'm talking to Charles here about about Christ and about the gospel, I'm just giving him the message. I can't convince him of nothing. I can't if I can argue him into understanding what's going on. Somebody smarter than me can come along and argue him out of it. You know, all I'm doing is introducing him to a man that's going to change him. And if Christ changes him, then he is changed forever. And if Christ doesn't, then we 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 keep working on it. See what I mean? You know, you made the comment, you know, she should have, you know, at least taken her water pot or whatever. But, you know, when Jesus was calling his disciples, he told them, you leave everything and you just come follow me. Yeah. I will supply your everything. You know, you leave everything. So, you know, her doing that is also a place of the Holy Spirit that she didn't need that. Right. You know, what she needed at that point, she had. Yeah. She, that was, her needs were satisfied. Exactly. Yeah. No, I agree with that completely. <clears throat> so, right here you get the picture of the kingdom work. Okay, the disciples are going to show up. Let's, let's just read it. The disciples are going to show up, 31. And it says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. What were they concerned about? <laughs> you need to eat, man. Come on, we went all the way to town to buy his food. Surely you're going to eat some. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of, that you don't know nothing about. Verse 33, Therefore said the disciples one to another, Have any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus said unto him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus and the woman are on the same wavelength, ain't they? 
They're saying, look, what's going to satisfy me is to do God's work, to do his work, to do his will. Um, That's more important than my physical needs. That's more important than my physical comfort. That's more important than than anything that you can give me that's going to just make me feel better. And the woman's thinking the same thing. She came out for water, but instead of bringing water home so she could do all her things, she left the water because her need to tell people about this man, this Messiah, was more important. Now, can you think of an example where we put our need for comfort or pleasure or ease or whatever in front of the need to do the kingdom work, the ministry work? Well, give me an example. It's cold outside. It's cold outside. Yeah. I don't do well in Yeah. And, or, I mean... Come on now, there's lots of examples. Surely, what somebody else give me an example? Deer hunting on Sunday. What else? Yeah. Man, you want a perfect example? I'm fixing the. I'm finna. No, I'm not. I can't tell you. I can't. I can't tell you. I could, but I ain't going to. I can't. I. I just. That ain't gonna work. <laughs> she know. She knows all about it. Uh, and, and it's not. It was something where it was a ministry thing, and I was like, "Well, I'll get to it." And then the opportunity disappeared. And it was gone, and then I realized, oh, "You're an idiot." Uh, but it was. I mean, think about. Think about. If you could have one thing in the world, what would it be? I'm talking about anything. You could have all your bills paid. You could have, you know, new boat, new whatever. You could have, you, you know, you could have ladies. If you could have your relationship fixed, if you could have uh, your children back home, or your, you know, if, if you could have, huh? You only get one. If you had one thing, what would it be? Um, a lot of times we, huh? Geico commercial. One wish. Uh, I hadn't seen. I hadn't seen it. Yeah, genie comes up and says, "You get one wish." And the guy says, "Like you know, a genie is real." And you know, he says, "I want a million bucks." And he says, "Okay." He looks out the window. And there's bucks. Oh, okay. I see. Well, my point in saying that is that. Uh, what was my point in saying that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, Most of us, if somebody just walked up out of the blue, now we're not talking about church, we're not talking about a preacher asking you a question, or a Sunday school teacher asking you a question, but if somebody just off the street walked up and said, what do you want most out of life, I'll give it to you right now, it wouldn't be anything about Jesus, it wouldn't be anything about kingdom, it would be, you know, and you say a million bucks, like that's a, you know, just a greedy person, but... For some of us, it's good things. You know, I wish my family was back together. I wish my children, would, you know, would would call me. I wish my, you know, even those things, which are good things, 
which are good things. They focus more on our own comfort and satisfaction than they do the working for the kingdom. See what I mean? Not that it's a bad thing that you want. I'm not saying it's a bad thing that you want any of those things, including a million bucks. If any of y'all want to give me a million bucks, I'd be happy to take it. You know, I, I remember one time, this is way off topic. Yeah, not in the real, I don't need no deer. Uh, we had this fake, you know them fake lottery tickets where you scratch them off and says, oh, you won $10 million. You know, it's a fake. It's not real. Uh, we did that to somebody and and they came and, you know, they didn't know it was a fake yet and they was all excited and all that deal and they were like, should I, I can get the money, can't I? I mean, I know lottery is like a sin, but I, surely, I, I mean, they gave me this for Christmas. It was in the package and surely I can get the money. And they went and asked Brother and he's like, like, if I, if I, is this a sin if I get this money and I, and I tithe on the money? Brother Eddie said, I think the devil had that money long enough. <laughs> he said, yeah, you can go on. Anyway, shut up. That was a funny <laughs> All those things are good things in one way or another. All those things are good things, but the focus of our heart, the focus of our life is to do the work that Christ has for us to do. And for these disciples, for Nicodemus, for all these Jewish people that were steeped in their religion, not all of them because some of them you know, were following Christ and came to Christ, but even the disciples at this point... The, their idea of working for the kingdom was all religion. You know, we go to the temple. We go and give our sacrifice. We go and give our praise. We go and do these things. And this is what we do. And we're following Jesus and we're learning. And we're learning all these things that he's telling us to do. It wasn't about, it wasn't about adding people into the kingdom. And then in one fell swoop, they walk up and this woman who Jesus is not supposed to be talking to at all is more of a kingdom worker in one instant than all 12 of these disciples were at the moment that they're walking up giving things to Jesus. See what I mean? Let me put it a different way. We're all going to go and we're going to worship and praise and sing and all those are good things. The Bible tells us, commands us to do those things, not saying they're bad at all. But if that's all we do in the name of Christ, then we have done no kingdom work for him. We have done no ministry. And ministry doesn't, doesn't also, it also doesn't end when, I read a post this week, was very good uh, on, online. It says ministry, does, ministry doesn't, isn't just walking through rooms flipping the lights on. Like, like going from country to country, giving them the gospel, then go to the next country. You know, there's discipling that takes place. There's teaching that takes place. There's growing. It's not just walking from dark room to dark room flipping the light on. And it's not just staying in the same room going, thank you, thank you thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it's, it's working for, to, it, to grow God's kingdom. It's working to, to, to know Jesus more and to make him known. Uh, the, there's a great story. I don't remember who, I think maybe Ray Comfort tells it about, uh, about the fireman that, uh, you know, he, uh, he bought the chief a new CD player and put it in the fire truck and it was a present for the chief and they got called to a four alarm fire and the firemen you know the firemen came and they they, they brought the truck and there you know there's the buildings on fire and there's a family of five screaming on the 10th floor you know hanging out the window to help me get out and it said for three minutes for three minutes this fireman sat in the truck rather than deploying rescue equipment 
to you know playing with the new stereo in the car and and the family three of the family ended up dying because he didn't have enough time to save them all you know because he sat in there for three minutes now what do you think should happen to that fireman you think he should go to jail be think he should be put, brought up on charges you think he should I mean, what do you think should happen that's a question. What happens when I ask the question is you answer. <laughs> I don't think you should be huh? charged, but I think you should be fired. Be fired? Sure. Well, these people died because he was pl- playing with a CD player. And at the trial, at the trial of the fireman, uh, his defense was, you know, I, I had given this, you know, I had, I had, given great personal expense to buy this CD player for the chief and I think that should be taken into account uh, in my in my defense and uh, really that's what a lot of us do is we go when we give Jesus our we give him what we've done but we we come and we praise him and we we sing to him which is things we're supposed to do make no mistake uh, but then we say, "Whew! Well, I've done my, I've done my, I've done my job. I've done my kingdom." The whole time, there are people in the burning building that can't get out, and here we are standing, playing with the CD player rather than going to help them get out. And the woman knew that. The disciples come and they're worried about food. Here, Jesus, you better eat this food. Jesus says, "Look, guys, I got food that you don't know nothing about." And they were thinking in their mind, well, somebody done brought him some. We done went all the way to town and got him something to eat, and somebody has done brought him some food. And he, he said, no, my food is to do the will of my Father. And that's what the woman was doing. Look at verse, uh, let's look at uh, 35. It says, it says, say ye not... This is Jesus talking. Say ye not that there are four months and then cometh the harvest. He's he's talking to him about an actual harvest. He was like saying, Don't don't say that we got plenty of time. He says, Say ye not that there we got four months to the harvest. He said, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true: one soweth and one reapeth. I sent you to, <clears throat> excuse me, I sent you to reap where that whereupon you bestowed no labor. He said, I sent you to reap on something you ain't never labored on. He said, other men have labored; they started this work, and you are entering into their labor. Okay, so what he's saying is, he's saying, stop, stop, guys, look. The food that I have is what satisfies me is to do the will of the Father. You guys are following me, and you're thinking, well, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Uh, I'm not qualified. And here's this outcast woman who's on the lowest rung of the social ladder, and she's done took off. I mean, she's gone. She's, she hightailed it to town to go tell people about Jesus. And here you guys are just shuffling around going, well, dang, man, we brought you some food. You're not going to eat it? You know, and he's, he's trying to show them that the kingdom work... The kingdom work is ready for you right now. It's urgent. It's the fields are white with harvest. They're out there. And it says, not just, and I'm not just saying, let's all get on a boat and go to Africa. What I'm saying is, it says that some of you sow, some of you reap, some of you, there's different ways that you can work in this kingdom. He was going to send these disciples out eventually, he's telling them, into places where 
they had never worked before, but other people had come before them and planted seeds. And then they would come and reap seeds. I remember, I can remember, I can remember countless people uh, that, you know, I would spend time with, you know, talking to them. You know, what do you, you know, you just need this and let's talk about that. And I just spent all this time and, and it just seemed like nothing, nothing, nothing. And then, you know, Brother Eddie would walk up and say, hey, son, how about Jesus? And they'd go, oh, I'm lost. I need to say. And I'm like, man, I, I was telling you that for three hours yesterday. You know, but that's not the point. The point is some sow, some water, some, and, and we all work together. You are, you are a harvester in the field. You are a sower in the field. Just by, just by the fact that you go into your workplace and you drop a seed into somebody's ear about Jesus and they don't automatically fall down on their knees and start crying and repenting doesn't mean that you're not doing kingdom work. You're sowing where somebody else may reap. You talk, you know, you, you living in front of your family. The family is the worst. Your family is probably the least likely people that are going to be saved under what you're telling them. But you're planting seeds in their ears and somebody else is going to come along and they're not going to have to turn that lid as hard because you've already loosened it up so much that they're just going to have to say the right thing at the right time under the Holy Spirit and bang, the lid is going to just pop right off. And so you are doing kingdom work, whether you are sowing seeds, whether you're reaping seeds, whatever you're doing, whether you're discipling people, whether you are bringing people closer to Christ, bringing people who've never met Christ to Christ, uh, or whether you're just planting seeds that are going to later be harvested when people do come to Christ. But that is the work of the kingdom. It's not all about, hey, Jesus, I brought you some food. You know, it's, it's not all about that. It's not all about that. That's not kingdom work. That's not, I shouldn't say it's not kingdom work, but uh, that's not the focus of what Jesus' mission is as he comes to the woman in the well, to, at the woman at the well. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Everybody good? I gotta hurry up. And uh, everyone already said that, already said that, already said that. 39. Okay. And many of the Samaritans, now we swap back over. We're swapping back over to the woman and what she's doing. It says, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. Now imagine, imagine, Nicodemus, the greatest, one of the greatest teachers in Israel, didn't know nothing about what he's talking about because he didn't know nothing about being born again. He was telling influence over all these people. The disciples, outcasts, some of them, humble fishermen, whatever, but they were following Jesus. They didn't really understand. This woman, who just by the fact that she was a woman, put her already at a disadvantage to talking to all these people. But this woman, in just a few minutes of talking to Jesus, understanding what Jesus was saying, having Jesus convict her heart, uh, remove her sin, uh, trusting in him, left all the stuff she brought out there, took off to this town, and these same people, the same people that had, had chided her and outcast her, I mean, remember she had five husbands and was living with a dude, she would not have been real high up on the social ladder, you know, in her city. But she went in her city and she was such a force 
uh, with her testimony that people were just compelled to come and see what was going on with this deal. See what I mean? So to say I'm not qualified to be a reaper or a harvester or a sower or anything is uh, it's really it's really it's really kind of dumb. Because if there was anybody that could claim I'm not qualified, it was her. I mean, it would be like, this may not be a great example, but it would be like a child molester coming to Christ and then going off to do kingdom work. You know, like, who are you to be talking? About? I mean, you're a child molester. You know, I mean, that stigma would follow them the rest of their life. Well, the stigma that she carried followed her the rest of her life. But yet here she was. And she made such a ruckus in town that all the people came out just to see what was going on. Uh, verse, uh, where am I at? Oh, 40. So when the Samaritans... When the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them to stay with them. And he abode with them three days. And many more believed because of his own word. You see? And said unto the woman, the people said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of what you were saying. For we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So her deal was like, hey, he's, he's there. He's here. He's right here. And they were believing. They were like, okay. Some were. Some were like, we just need to go check it out. Whatever. I don't, I don't know. When she introduced them to the Christ, the words of the Christ, the words of Jesus, yeah, the words of Jesus caused them to believe. So that's why I say you don't have to know all the answers to theological questions. You don't have to be an apologist. You don't have to know, you know, how many nails are in the ark or how long Samson's hair was or why the Bible says this about that or this. All you're doing is introducing people to this man named Jesus. Right. It has nothing to do. You cannot argue anybody into the kingdom. You cannot teach anybody into the kingdom. I can stand up here and teach you Bible stuff all day long. And unless the Holy Spirit came and touched your heart, convict you of your sin and regenerated you, you would never, you would never care. There's a story about a guy in the Bastille is a big prison in, in France in the Middle Ages. And, and uh, they threw him in the dungeon. And, and back then you never saw nobody. You just, you know, they slid a plate of food up under and, and you had no human in contact. They, all he had was a Bible. And when they opened a cell after he died, you know, they come to haul him out. There was all over the walls it was facts about the Bible. Like L is the middle word, middle letter in Galatians. You know, like like there are 8,432 words in the Psalms. There are, you know, there's all these facts on the, and there was no indication that he ever, you know, loved Jesus or prayed or, I mean, you know, not that we, we don't really know that, but I'm saying you could know all kind of facts and never, never come to faith in Christ. So it's all about introducing them to this man. If you try to, if you try to convince them, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, I try to convince people, I have arguments and I have, you know, I, I, I like discussing the truths and all this stuff, but I understand that that's not what's going to save anybody. I can't convince you in your mind that this is true and you need to believe it. That's something that Jesus has to do. It's something that Jesus does. And real quick, Unless y'all got something else. Real quick, let me talk about this last story. Um, well, 39 through 42, 
I need to make sure you understand that this gospel that we're preaching, this come meet a man, is for everybody. The Samaritans, remember, they were the... No, no. You do not talk to the Samaritans. If you're a Jewish person, you do not walk through Samaria. And if you do walk through Samaria, remember, that's where that comes from. That dusting your feet off, that's where that comes from. Because before you walk back into Judea, you better get that Samaritan dirt off your feet. That's why they dusted their feet off, you know. And so that, that was a no-no. But here was whole, whole towns of Samaritans that were coming to Jesus. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking? What is going on here? All these Samaritans, they are going to laugh at us when we get back to the temple, man. We're going to be, man, they're going to make fun of us that we're coming and you know, the Samaritans and the kingdom of God. And it's just, it's a debacle. But it says, the last story, I'm, I'm not going to read it because I'm running out of time, but you can read it. The last little story, and this ends the section. John is called the Cana cycle, where Jesus starts in Cana, and then he goes down to Jerusalem, comes back through Galilee, and then goes back at, at Cana right here at the end of this uh, chapter. Uh, he, is, he is doing his thing, you know, doing his stuff. And this nobleman, that's all it really tells us. He's a nobleman. It could be a Roman soldier, or it could be... Uh, you know, like a like a, a a Herodian. You know, you know Herod, King Herod. You know, it could be one of his court officials or something. Like that. It could be one of the other. In your notes uh, that I sent you, I put that it was probably a Roman soldier, and it was probably the guy from Matthew. I'm having doubts about that now. The more that I the more that I study it, the more I look at it, because the guy, the Roman soldier in Matthew, is called a centurion, and it was his slave that was sick, whereas it was a son here in John. So don't take that to the bank as absolute. I'm still thinking through that. So. We'll We'll, we'll see about that. But the nobleman came to Jesus and he says, heal my son. My son is, uh, you know, my son is about to die. And Jesus, it looked like Jesus just shut him down. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus said, let me just read it. I wasn't going to read it, but now I'm going to read it. Then 45. Uh, just came, 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee. He's ending up back where he started, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. That's what threw me off because the centurion in with the servant in uh, Matthew was, was in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea to Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said, now listen, think about this. He said, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And ye there is plural. So he's not just talking to the man. Um, imagine this, okay? Dana comes up and says, Jesus, my son is sick. Please come and heal him. He's sick. And instead of, instead of addressing this person who's down on his feet, he says, you guys won't believe anything unless you see signs and wonders. What would that sound like to you? Like he's blowing him off. Like, whatever, you know, just get away from me. That's what it sounds like. And what would you do if I come all the way this way? Jesus, would you please come and heal my son? And Jesus blows me off. Well, <laughs> well forget you, Jesus. If you're going to be there, I ain't going to forget it. But this guy knew. He had faith. He, he understood that the only way his son was going to be healed was by Christ. So look what he did. He says, 
the nobleman, the nobleman said unto him, he's like tugging on him, going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, Jesus is talking to all these people. Unless you see signs and miracles, you're not going to believe nothing. And here he is again. He said, look, sir, which should be translated Lord. It's the same word, Lord, come down ere my child died. He said, if you don't come, he's going to die. If you do not come, he is going to die. And Jesus said unto him, now it's Jesus turns and looks at the man. He says, go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Now, we've read that so many times. I've read it so many times, and you have too, that we kind of miss the force of what's going on. I mean, think about what's happening. This guy comes, Jesus, please help me. My son is dying. And Jesus is like... You know, y'all just want me to do miracles all the time. You just won't believe whatever. He said, no, 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 Jesus, Lord, you have got to come or he's going to die. If you don't come, he's going to die. The man's wanting Jesus to do something. I want you to wave your arms. I want you to shout to the Lord. I want you to pray. I want you to touch me. I want you to do something. And instead of doing any of that, Jesus said, just go home, man. It'll be all right. Can you imagine how dude felt? How would you feel if you came all the way from Capernaum to Cana and you was like, I got to find this guy. And when you finally found him, he was like, I go back home. He'd be all right. Your son's going to live. You have to have some faith to leave because you're leaving empty handed. I mean, you're leaving with nothing. He didn't touch me. He didn't say nothing. He didn't pray. He didn't do. I mean, he didn't do nothing. He just said, go home. I mean, you have to have some faith to say, okay, I'm going back home. I mean, and what, I mean it, wasn't like, it wasn't like a five-minute bus ride, you know, to, to get to the house. He had to walk all the way back. And it says that as he was walking, his servants, you know, during that journey, during that journey, it could have been hours, it could have been days. During that journey, his servants came, hey, guess what? Your son's better. And he asked him, when did he get better? And it was the same hour that Jesus said, go home, your son lived. So what you see here is... You have a religious man, the greatest teacher in Israel, possibly one of the greatest teachers in Israel, said the teacher in Israel, Nicodemus, who needs to be in the kingdom of God and knows all these things, but he's never been born again. Then you have Samaritan woman who is social outcast. Nobody's going to talk to her. Nobody wants her. Nobody's befriending her. She needs to be in the kingdom of God. And she becomes a kingdom worker. And then at the very bottom, whether he was a Roman soldier or in the court of Herod, either one, don't nobody like that joke. Don't nobody, nobody wants him around. No, he's a nobody, nobody. Herod had befriended the Romans. The Jews hated the Romans. They were occupying their land. They were forcing their laws upon them. That you know, they hated the tax collectors because they were collecting taxes for the Romans. So you've got the greatest of all religious people. You got a woman who was religious, but she was just a sinner. And then you got this guy who he was just the lowest of the low. All three in this one little cycle you see all three need to be born again all three need to be in the kingdom and jesus invites all three into the kingdom and it says when the man went home and his son was healed it says not only he believed in jesus but his whole household believed in jesus so now you have religious man 
semi-religious woman, sinner, and the lowest of the low outcasts, his whole house, believing in Jesus. So the kingdom work is for, is for everybody. And there's nobody you're going to run into that doesn't need to be witnessed to, doesn't need to see Jesus, doesn't need to see the kingdom. Does that make sense? Yeah. Y'all with me? Yeah. Any questions, comments? Everybody's worthy. Everybody, well, nobody's worthy. There's a better way to put it. Because you're right, everybody's worthy, but the religious man who knew everything and had it all going on was just as big a sinner as the guy way down at the bottom. You know, he wasn't no better than we're all on the same plane. Wherever that is, we're all on the same plane. Everybody's sinful before God, no matter how good you are, how religious you are, how whatever you are. We all need to be born again. We all need to be workers in the kingdom. And once we are, we, it's time to be like the woman and go to work. Nicodemus left. And he just went back to his religion. Now we'll see at the end of John, I'm trying to hurry up. We'll see at the end of John that Nicodemus did come to faith in Christ. Because he's there at the burial. But as far as the story goes, Nicodemus just said, oh, okay. That was it. You know. And then the woman became... Evangelist, she, didn't she? she became, y'all come see this man. And then the man who had his child healed, he became evangelist too, didn't he? Where'd he go? He didn't go back to town. He went, he went to the house. And his whole household. And when it says whole household, it doesn't just mean wife, brothers, sisters. You know, he could have been servants. If he was a Roman official, he could have had a whole big, huge estate full of house people. You know, he said his whole household was saved. And so what you see is born again leads to evangelism, leads to kingdom work. You see that? You understand? And that kingdom work extends to everyone in your circle of influence. Not just the highfalutin rich guy who knows everything and not just the lowest of the low, but everybody in that, everybody in between. With me? Questions? All good? Okay, let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you, Lord, that uh, that you've given us this lesson, that you've uh, 